Mike check. What up? Another episode of Muthanomics coming at ya. Um, I've been trying to figure out the... There's like a, a low drumming sound um, kind of in the background at times. I think it has to do with the fact that my microphone arm, um, it attaches to the desk. There's this like clamp with a hole in it um, and the hole faces skyward. And then the microphone arm has like a dowel that you stick into the hole. Um, and then the arm from there uh, kind of extends out to wherever you're sitting or standing, etc. Um, and I think what's happening is if the table gets bumped or if the microphone slightly gets, gets uh, jostled or wiggled, um, the, that dowel in that space is not super tight and it's also not cushioned or padded with anything. And so I think it kind of vibrates and I think that sound gets sent through the rest of the microphone arm and, and ends up on the audio recording as being kind of a low, thuddy, thunky sound. Um, got a lot of stuff I want to talk about today. Um, we'll just delve right in with the name of the episode. Um, my problem with gab and the need for decentralized content and you say, duh, of course you have to have a problem with gab. The media tells us we have to have a problem with gab because they talk about things that are outside the official narrative. They have the audacity to let people talk about stuff that is wrong think. Um, and 20 years ago, 10 years ago, certainly 40, 50 years ago, uh, we would have kind of shuddered at that Orwellian concept of wrong think. Um, and I think it's because we were so close, we were so close in time to seeing what the communist Marxist authoritarian ideology of restricting speech and oppressing ideas because we disagreed with them. And then the next slippery slope step is to then, I've talked about this before, the, the problem with communism is that or any sort of group collectivism, any sort of ideology based upon collectivism is that the circles over time get smaller and smaller. So if you look at Mao's China, Stalin's Russia, uh, Hitler's Germany, uh, Mussolini's Italy, um, Castro's Cuba, Chavez's Venezuela. Um, if you look at these places over the last hundred years, ideally what happens is some firebrand makes a declaration that people with a certain characteristic, whether it's a physical characteristic um, or an idea characteristic, they must be separated um, from everybody else and once that first separation takes place people clamor to get on the inside of that circle so they're quote-unquote safe but what they fail to recognize is that the circle is perpetually getting smaller and smaller so it can fit fewer and fewer people inside that circle um, because as with any deranged uh, authoritarian government or cult or whatever you want to call it, 
there's all there's this like uh there's this inevitable magnetism um this inevitable draw towards finding out who the true believers are or finding out who the true loyalists are and that's how history has gone and so it starts with a big circle and then that circle gets smaller and more people get cold um expelled um and then in the hysteria that comes with that it's like a combination of ideological fervor mixed with group terror and fear um that circle gets smaller and smaller and people begin to rat out other people hoping that they'll keep their spot on inside the circle it's kind of, it's kind of like a societal game of musical chairs um and it's never gone well so you say well what's your issue with gab um on a free speech issue yeah whatever i don't really have uh I, I don't really have i have zero issue with free speech and i think norm chomsky uh he captures the concept perfectly when he argues that if you understand free speech you will defend the right of someone you vehemently disagree with you will defend their right to say that even though you vehemently disagree with it and we've lost that ideal uh that ideal has been run roughshod over in this country thanks to the demagoguery of elite politicians and the orwellian practices of some of these big tech companies and you go well, what are you talking about that's not true these people deserve to be silenced because i disagree with them well if you think about the concentric circle the cent- the circle's getting smaller and smaller it started what four or five years ago with people saying that alex jones needed to be kicked off the internet because he had wacky conspiracy theories and everybody was like oh well it's just alex jones i mean he sells weird supplements and he's a charlatan so okay it's not that big of a deal and then it went to that Milo Yakatakatongakus guy, whatever his name is. And it was like, oh, he's a gay conservative. We can't have that. It disrupts our narrative. Um, and then it went to, I don't even know who it went to. It went to like some crazy chick in Florida because she said some things that were racist. Oh, well, we can't have racism. So we got to eliminate her from having uh, a means to share her information um, or her opinions. Um, and then the list has just gone on and on. And it, it culminated with these tech companies uh, removing um, the 45th president of the United States from their platforms. And here's here's an example in the liberal hypocritical idiocy. What is that? Liberal L-H-I. I was, I was hoping to come up with a nice abbreviation that doesn't that doesn't flow off the tongue too well. Liberal hypocritical idiocy. And I guess I can't really pin it on liberals too because there are several conservatives that have some hypocritical idiocy going on. But in this particular vein, this is what I've heard from liberals slash leftists who are okay with Alex Jones and president trump and whoever getting removed from these platforms they say and i quote 
Twitter's a private company. It can do whatever it wants. By the, exa- by the exact same logic, that's what states in the South, pre-civil rights movement, that's the logic they used to keep their businesses segregated. To say, blacks are not allowed at this diner. Oh, no, no, sir, you cannot come in here and enjoy a cheeseburger and fries and a milkshake because we are a private business and we have declared that people with certain characteristics are not allowed to participate in our business. It's the exact same logic. And the blind side, the ideological blind side, not even the ideological, it's it's a blind side created, it's a blind spot created by ideologues. When you get too attached to your 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 ideology and you get flooded with a just bevy, is that the right word? A bevy of logical fallacies. Namely, I think one of the, the biggest logical fallacy that we are struggling with on a societal scale is the fallacy of ad hominem. And it's probably the oldest. Anytime you pick up a logical fallacy book or or a you know logical reasoning book, they go through logical fallacies. And ad hominem is always at the top of the list. And for those of you who are spending too much time on TikTok um, and don't know what ad hominem means, it's Latin for against the man. And the fallacy is that instead of addressing the content of an argument, you simply, you simply attack the person. You attack the individual. And so you never address the logic. You never address the position or the argument. You simply attack the man. And we are neck deep, nostril deep, in a stew of ad hominem fallacies being committed on all sides of the aisle. So liberals, anti-Trumpers, never-Trumpers, they can't see clearly. Their logic is obfuscated. (laughs) It's too early for me to pronounce big words. (laughs) Their, Their logic is obscured. It is, it is uh, I will say it's retarded in the sense that what that word actually means, that it's not working correctly. Um, you can't say that. I hate this podcast. I'm going to get you canceled because you say mean words. Um, their logic is interfered with by their blind ad hominem hatred towards the bad orange man. Similarly, <laughs> you try pronouncing multiple, multi-syllabolic <laughs> words at uh, 6.30 in the morning. See how you, you come out on the other end of that. Uh, in a similar fashion, um, there are people on the conservative side of the aisle who were blinded by their ad hominem against the individual, against the person, against the man, against the woman, hatred um, for people who they perceive to be their political opponents. Um, so it's not looking good for us. I mean, the, the, the way out of a lot of this stuff is to dedicate ourselves to studying logic and critical thinking and familiarizing ourselves with logical fallacies. 
um, and then in hopes that we would be able to see what those logical fallacies are in order to then therefore think more clearly. But as it stands, we are just, we're, we're so deep in ad hominem um, that I don't think we can even see past our nose on a lot of these things. We're so extremely short-sighted at the moment. Um, so on a free speech front, um, I have no problem with Gab saying, hey, we're here to, you know, we champion free speech and people can say whatever they want to. And I think here's the other thing that, that people forget is that there are laws that are already on the books that are preventing or that, that, well, that they don't prevent. You can't prevent crime. Um, you can punish crime. Um, but the second we open this, you know, sort of pre-crime lab like Minority Report, we're in for a doozy of an experiment in this country. Um, but we have anti... Uh, you, you can't make threats of violence. You can't slander people. You can't... There's, there's anti-libel laws. Um, so there's, there's a lot of laws on the books which prevent people from making threats of violence and slandering people. Um, or it, it, I guess it wouldn't prevent them from doing it, but it would make it punishable under the law. Um, so I have no problem with the free speech. My issue with Gab, and you go, oh no, well, well then what's your issue if you don't have any problem with racist lunatics getting online and ranting incoherently about things, then what's your problem? Um, my problem is twofold, at least. The first being, and I, and I can already hear the people, the pro-gab people are like, yo, you're walking the middle road. And this, this is the other thing, too, that's, that's really annoying me in our country right now, is the middle road is allegedly bad. And I don't understand why that's the case. Moderation in all things, people. I mean, we it's like there's this gigantic Obama or and company, <laughs> whoever that is, is driving this ginormous bulldozer with a pointy tip, 10 foot high metal uh, snow shaving devices straight down the middle of the country. And they're, they're, they're forcefully peeling people off to the left or to the right. There is no middle road. You can't be in the middle of the road. Um, you're either for us or you're against us. Well, last time I checked, only one person had the right to say that. And it was the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. Oh my goodness, you are a right-wing lunatic. Um, no, but that, that's, that's the assumption right now is that you're either for us or you're against us. There is no middle ground. And I reject it. I just reject it. Like my old English professor, P. Cahoon, who I've probably quoted before. If he didn't like your argument, he would look at you very calmly and he would say, I reject that. And that's what I do. I reject this uh, massive snowplow barreling through the middle of our country, forcing people to be on the extreme left or the extreme right. I just flat out reject it. And I've talked about this before. If you go, well, you used to be able to go onto Netflix and watch the history of World War II in color before the Obamas got involved and all of this historical content just kind of magically disappeared. Like you can't go watch the West anymore. Ken Burns' The West documentary. 
um, which talked at length about how Native American tribes were incredibly violent towards one another long before the white man showed up. Um, you can't say that. They were just Cheech and Chong smoking peace pipe people. Um, the history of World War II in color talks at length about how in the late 20s and into the early 30s in Germany, you had communists and fascists fighting against each other. And you're, you're like, well, wait a second. That's kind of what's like happening now. And then you had anti-fascists and communists fighting against each other. Well, uh, so we can't learn from history if history is conveniently removed. They removed the Vietnam, the Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam, which showed that Vietnam itself was mired in 100 years of anti-colonial behavior. Um long before the U.S. showed up and made a made a quagmire. Um, I shouldn't even say made a quagmire, just contributed to the anti-colonial quagmire. Um, we can't learn things if history is removed. And we're so dumb, we're so brain dead at this point in time in our nation's history that we're, we're like, oh, we're just rubber stamping the removal of history. Oh, it was offensive. It, it, it offended me, so get rid of it. They just removed a Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea statue somewhere in Virginia or someplace because it was the patriarchy and Sacagawea was kneeling down in submission to the male. And it was like the people who did it were like, no, it was showing that she was a tracker. You don't know what the people said because they was built in 1913 and they're long dead. Um, yeah, we can't learn when you erase history. And ironically, that's exactly what authoritarian uh, regimes have done all throughout the world, all over the place. They set about trying to destroy the past, um, I think in large part, so that people are not warned by those past mistakes. Um so history is getting, getting removed, and, and I've talked about this before. My point was you could go on Netflix and you could watch how uh, the similarities in 19, late 1920s, early 1930s Germany, how, it's, how they say that, that the average German was afraid to share their opinion on any, even the most trivial topic. Um, you know, you look at how the KGB um, came to fruition from the 1919-ish, late mid to late 19-teens, um, up into the mid-1930s and beyond. And you see this pressure to denounce your neighbor, to try to stay on the good graces of that inner circle. You see all these things happening throughout history, and yet all of these things seem to be, uh, there seems to be a coordinated effort to remove these things uh, from our viewing pleasure. Now, there's no pleasure in watching history. It's boring. The reason they removed them is nobody wanted to watch them. Okay, maybe that is. Um, but but if that is true, if there's not some broader uh, effort afoot, um, and it's true that we don't want to watch history because it's boring, then shame on us and we get everything. We deserve everything coming down the pipe because history is sitting there screaming at us. Warning, warning. Don't operate based on collectivism don't operate based on authoritarianism don't operate based on a, a ever decreasing circle size um, 
So I've probably talked about it before, but you could pick up the Black Book of Communism, which outlines just stomach-turning horrors of people who have been swept away with this collectivism idea. And uh, people in Russia taking tens of thousands of people and sticking them on a rock island in the middle of this gigantic river in the middle of dead winter. Um, and they, they all starved to death and turned into cannibals and purposely just jumped into the river fully clothed to drown themselves. It was just, it was like, it was like fear the walking dead in reality. Um, so what's my problem with Gab? They're promoting, and I, I don't even know if they're aware of this. Um, I, I actually opened a Gab account. I don't even remember 2017, 2016, whenever they opened, it was a long time ago. I was like, yeah, I'll create an account. I'm a, I'm a extremely early adopter. I, I remember opening an account on a, on a site called chimp C I C H I dot MP. And it was like this, Oh, we're going to bring all of the social media platforms together. And, and it, it's going to be a, a, conglomerate of all of your feeds. And I was like, this sounds cool. And then they raised $5,000 and then they went, they shuttered their site like two months later. Um, so I'm an early adopter. So I, I opened a Gab account and I just can't get down with it because they are promoting the opposite group collectivist ideology. In fact, I was, I was perusing their their feed the main suggested post feed last week and one of the top posts was we need to have a white pride month and i was like Err? record scratch <laughs> and my heart sank and i was like we okay so great they're, they're there for free speech which is great the first amendment we need to defend um to the grave, we need to defend the First Amendment. But you're promoting collectivism based on characteristics of individuals. Absolutely ridiculous. Stupid. Historically, doesn't work out. And their justification, when I say there, I'm not saying it was Gab Incorporated officially posting that. It was some user account on the site. We need to have a white pride month. And the justification in the comments was, oh, that sounds great. Everybody else has a pride month. Why not us? I mean, remember the old saying that your mom, the question your mom used to ask you way back in the day, hey, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you do it? If Just update that to now. If everybody obsessed over identifying with a group and then pushing that ideology forward, would you do it? Apparently the answer is yes. Because instead of saying, hey, wait a second, we need to be treating everyone as an individual, the beauty and philosophical power of America lies in the famous words of Martin Luther King Jr. that we don't judge people based on, and I'm going to take a, some creative license here and expand what I believe was his meaning. We don't judge people based on some visible characteristic that they possess, but we judge them based upon the content of their character. 
And I think Martin Luther King is rolling over in his grave right now because he dreamed of a day when we would not judge people based on the color of their skin. And instead of making that dream a reality, we have made it even worse where we judge people based upon the color of their flags, the color of their social media profile pictures, whether or not they made it a rainbow or they made it green for this week or they made it black or they made it yellow or they made it in solidarity with XYZ group. I mean, we've taken his dream and we have completely butchered it. we've, We've divided it up into even more things which we can judge people by that is completely absent from the character, the content of their character. And I don't understand uh, the benefit in doing this because there is no benefit in doing this. And so that's my first problem with Gab is that under they, they, they're setting out on this defense of free speech. Great, 100%, kudos, thumbs up. But as I scroll through the prioritized content, it's just collectivism flying under a different banner. Um, so I'm not too sure, you know, and, and that snowplow is probably, it's like a game of Plinko. So the, the, the snowplow is pushing, is barreling through the heartland of our country, coast to coast, sea to shining sea, this massive, um, Obama driven. (laughs) You can't make Obama the driver because Trump is 10 times worse. Okay, they take turns driving it. All right, how's that? One of them's the navigator, one of them's the driver, and when they get tired, they switch seats. Um, but the GOP, just the political elites, they're driving this massive snowplow all around the country, barreling it through the heartland, scraping it along the coasts, going through the big metropolises, and they're willfully shoving people either to the left or to the right with their gigantic metal snowplow shaped like a V with a pointy front. And people are just like, hey, I'm just, you know, trying to live my life and be, whoa, 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 wait, where are you going? No, I'll never see you again because I got clipped to the left and you got clipped to the right. So that's what's happening on a macro scale. And then what's happening is once you get clipped to the left or to the right, then it turns into like a, a, game of Plinko from Price is Right, where there's even more categories where you get bounced into, you have to then get fit into some other group that's either on the left or the right. Um, And it's a podcast I did, uh, I don't even remember how long ago. I think it was the, the danger of playing group identity games. And we clearly have not, no one has listened to that podcast. Um, Well, there's actually been people who have listened to it. My point is, no one has, apparently either not enough people have listened to it or enough people have listened to it and they've rejected my my hypothesis or my, my thesis in that particular episode, the danger of playing group identity games. Again, the, the philosophical power and beauty of America is that we treat people as individuals. Um, and this is probably a topic for another episode, but you know, it's the whole concept that principles don't belong to a party. The right to privacy doesn't belong to a political party. 
The right to a speedy trial by a jury of my peers does not belong to a political party. The right to free speech does not belong to a political party. The right to bear arms does not belong to a political party. The right to worship, however I see best fit, does not belong to a political party. So somehow we've got to stop We've got, to, we've got to slash the tires, so to speak, on this gigantic snowplow wreaking havoc across the country. Um, maybe cut the fuel line. Um, notice, notice I didn't say anything about uh, stopping the drivers. We just need to disable the actual vehicle. Um, and that the way that we do that is we believe again in the beauty of the individual, the worth of the individual, the power of the individual, the uh, meritocracy of the individual as it relates to defending their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and again, I've said this before. At this point, this sounds like a broken record. I blame it on uh, some of this is due to reality TV, Big Brother, Survivor, all of these shows which kind of raised Gen Z with the idea of you have to make shady, questionable alliances in order to save your own skin and survive another week. So that's not that's not working in our favor whatsoever. Um, so they're promoting collectivism um, unbeknownst to them. And so I, I just can't get on board. Like, I can't, you know. I can't. I'm I, I'm white. I'm blonde. I'm blue eyed. Six foot seven. My my roots are clearly uh, European, Scandinavian, Germanic, maybe a tiny bit of the UK. And I can't get on board with that. We need to have a white. Pro no, we we don't need to have collective collectivist based Pride months. <laughs> Or even Pride Weeks. Or even Pride Days. So, the response to... The, the appropriate response to, to more and more carved out collectivist-based identity games and collectivist-based identity celebrations is not more of them. It's to say, hey, wait a second. I mean, yeah, you have the right to you know, free speech and expression and whatever. But let's remind ourselves that when you go to whatever pride month or activity that is, that's not your true identity. The, the true identity in America is that the individual is guaranteed certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the things that are enumerated in the amendment. So I think we're, we're taking something that is philosophically quite simple and we are unwisely making it incredibly complicated. Um, nuance and oh, but ee-haw-hoo. And I, I think we, we would be well served as a country to make some of these things a little bit more simplified. In fact, I saw... I saw a picture the other day. It said the collectivist's worst nightmare. And it was a picture of a dark-skinned hand and a lighter-skinned hand clasped, holding hands. Like, you know, fingers intertwined, like friendship. Hey, 
and it was like it said this is the this is the ideologues the collectivists um, worst nightmare and I thought amen to that so that's my first problem with gab is I think that they are there are users I'm not saying it's gab Inc um, but it probably is because Andrew Torba their founder uh, when I peruse his posts he's he's very much pushing for um, a collectivism of almost like a theocracy. Um, and, and I've argued this point with evangelical friends along across the spectrum in evangelicalism um, from extremely conservative to more liberal. And this whole idea of a theocracy um, for a country, I'm not on board with it. It, it kind of terrifies me and you go, well, well, but if it's the right theocracy, then, and that's, that's always the thing. No one, no one can ever look at the history and say, Hey, we tried that and it didn't work. So maybe we shouldn't run roughshod towards trying it again. Um, it's always like, Oh, it never, we never put enough resources behind it. I think that's my biggest problem with these, with collectivists is it's like, well, that wasn't true communism. That wasn't true socialism. That wasn't, that wasn't a true theocracy. Um, but my problem with it is just look at the Taliban. I mean, look at, look at some countries that have tried a theocratic approach based upon their religion to rule. And it seems as if it results in more violations of human rights and civil liberties and individual freedom than not. Um, but that's just my armchair geopolitical quarterbacking going on at the moment. I really need a drink and I'm out of coffee. So I'm going to roll the chair back. Oh, stand up. Reach across the table for my bottle of water. Hop back into the chair. Roll back up. So... I think Gab, unbeknownst to them, um, they're just playing. They're playing a different group identity game, and I, I just refuse to play group identity games. So I, I can't really get on board with them. And the second thing, and this is the ironic part. This is the funny part, and it has super parallels. The reason I, I think I feel so strongly about this second point is that in my mind, it has some very eerie parallels to the evangelical church in America. And if you've listened to my theology podcast, um, I've talked about how the evangelical landscape reminds me of Lord of the Rings in the sense that no one has the character or the ability to wield the power of that ring. Oh man, you're a nerd hobbits and tigers and lions and bears. Oh my, Dorothy, Kansas. Um, no, one has the, no one has the capability to manage the power of wielding the ring and everyone recognizes the need to destroy the ring. But the second someone actually comes into possession of the ring, they instantly turn into some megalomaniac authoritarian monster. And even at the very end, after sitting through three extremely long movies and you get to the end of the trilogy, Frodo gets there to whatever mount with the lava that's going to destroy the ring. And he goes to chuck it in and he's like, no, it's mine. It's all mine. And then Schmeagel comes out of nowhere and somehow they're invisible. And he's like, no, my precious. And then they fight. And the only thing that 
that saves Frodo from certain ruin and destruction is a tripping over a rock and, and Schmeagel taking the ring into the fiery pit with him. Um, and that's kind of how I feel like communism is. <laughs> but th- th- this is the collectivism game. So, so it's what the church is. It's like, so, you know, young pastor sees traditional church and says, oh, I don't like the way that X, Y, and Z is going. Therefore, I'm going to go start A, B, and C and do something new. And then they end up, by and large, repeating a lot of the same errors that the previous church did, just in a slightly different format. And then the next guy comes along and says, oh, I don't like that error. So I'm going to go and I'm going to imagine I can take it. I can be famous. I can. And then, of course, it becomes all about them. And then they crash and burn. And it's just a debacle. That's my generalized observation with evangelicalism in America over the last 50 plus years, probably longer. Um, And it's my contention with Gab. They're saying, oh, it's wrong for a social media company to have a quote-unquote kill switch on content. And so therefore, we're going to be the proponents of free speech. So lots of free speech proponents are clamoring to the site to sign up, not realizing (laughs) that they are centralizing all of their content under one dude. So Andrew Torba is the conservative version of Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey. But if you remove the political leanings and the ideological stripes, the model is exactly the same. You are centralizing content under the authority of one person. So to me, it just seems completely foolish. And it reminds me of a lot of church startups that I've seen over the years, they come rushing out of the gate with all of this youthful vigor and enthusiasm and we're going to change the world. And then 15 years later, they've actually made the world a worse place and they've destroyed 1500 lives in the process. You're so jaded. Um, I'm just, I'm just, just rehashing to you what I have observed with these two eyeballs. Um, so, you know, I'm excited that there's a move to defend free speech. Um, And I think that we need to do that. And if you understand free speech, you will be in line with what Noam Chomsky said, uh, that I will defend to the death your right to say something that I disagree with. Um, So that spirit would be be healthy for our country. Um, But... Just centralizing content under another person is, in my mind, not the uh, wisest thing to do. And I think that's actually why blogs were so powerful back in the day. You know, like WordPress. I mean, you you can self-host. So the 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 kill switch the kill switch up until this point is decentralized. You know, if someone wants to censor themselves, they don't post or they take the content down or they remove their blog. And until WordPress puts in some activation license, um, which causes people to then put a kill switch on being able to use WordPress 
at, at this particular point in time, the content is decentralized. And I think that decentralization is incredibly important pretty much on every single front of of a healthy society. We should be decentralizing power. It's why there's states. It's why there's counties. It's why there's cities and mayors and local representatives. Um, the fatal flaw in collectivism, communism, socialism, is that it's the fatal conceit that a group of elites can make the best decisions for hundreds of millions of people. And so we need to be advocating for the decentralization of power um, across the board as it relates to several things in our government, but also we need to be advocating for this idea of the decentralization of content control. Because if I'm some lunatic and I set up a blog that I self-host you know, off of a computer in my, in my shed or my basement, and I start, you know, just rambling about nonsense, well, the market is going to go, eh, that guy's a little loony, you know, uh, I don't think we're going to give him a lot of, <laughs> so there's, there's built in um, regulation from the standpoint of, is that content even interesting to people? Um, but I, I suspect, and I'm sure that I'll be coming back to this episode within the next five years, um, probably sooner at the rate things seem to be going parabolic. Um, I'll probably be coming back to this episode saying, look, I told you so, because Gab is most likely going to start to cancel people on their platform who Andrew Torba then begins to disagree with. Like, if they are for free speech yet they're also for a theocracy. You can just see these things converging. You know, if, if I was uh, the LGBTQ community right now, I would be flooding Gab with accounts and creating all kinds of content just to tick off Andrew Torba and his values. Um, and, if, and if enough people do that, my guess is that you're gonna force his hand and his true colors will be identified, which would be, Oh, I'm a mini authoritarian myself, and this is my platform, and I can do whatever I want with it. <laughs> you know, I deal with this with the plugin, uh, one of the plugins that I developed, um, and and sell. You know, we to use the plugin, um, you activate the license. Oh, you have a kill switch on your plugin. Yeah, it's a for-profit business. All right. Um, so if you want support, you have to put in this licensing code and then it turns on the plugin. And if you don't pay your bills or, um, or if you don't have an active license, then I won't support it. I mean, it's, it's just called capitalism. Um, but my values are such that I am not a proponent of pornography um, I think it is exploitative of women. I think it is demeaning to women. I think it's damaging to the culture. And yet, I offer a payment plugin for websites, for e-commerce websites, to collect payments and deliver digital services after those payments have been received. That's what the plugin does. And a lot of different businesses around the world use it. There's bakeries, there's 
uh, e-commerce stores that sell Pokemon cards. There's e-commerce stores that sell T-shirts, and there's uh, there's yoga studios that sells monthly subscriptions, and there's uh, digital ebook training sites and all kinds of stuff. Music lessons, uh, foreign language. There happens to be a handful of pornographic companies who have bought the plugin and they use it. And we get support requests. Hey, um, can you iron out this bug on the site? Here's the login credentials. So we go and log in and there's a bunch of porn. Um, to be consistent with the business side of things, Hey, I can't control how people are using the plugin if it's with inside the confines of current law. And for better or for worse, I would argue for worse, um, pornography is, is legal and what is my recourse? So, hey, I just say, hey, I provide the plugin and people are going to use it how they want to use it within the confines of law. Now, if if I if someone sent a support request and I saw, you know, they were using it to uh, pay for human trafficking, um, I would be obligated to report that particular usage to the authorities because that's illegal. You can't you can't sell people um, on an e-commerce website. That's illegal. So, you know, if it's if it's within the confines of law. Um. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, I've had this conversation with some people because a few people at my church were like, oh, you've got to block those people. You can't let them use your plugin in that way. And I said, okay, so, you know, if you're, if you're a phone, I mean, you're Apple, okay? Or, you, or you're, you're a burner phone company and people use, buy the burner phones in order to, you know, traffic illicit illegal drugs. I mean, are you going to quit providing a phone because some people are choosing to use your product in a way um, that you don't agree with? This is kind of what I'm getting at here. Um, and I think it's the power of decentralizing um, the content is all people are doing is they're rushing from Dorsey and Zuckerberg under, under the roof of now Andrew Torba. And I would bet money, I would take call options. <laughs> I wish... <laughs> I would love to create financial mechanisms um, for societal predictions um, because I would buy call options. Five-year call options, I don't know, with a $100 strike price um, that Torba is going to replicate Dorsey and Zuckerberg's behavior and pull the kill switch on people because he is going to run into the fact that his current declaration that he supports free speech that is most likely going to run headfirst into a group of people who disagree with him littering his site with content that conflicts with his core values and he's most likely going to pull the kill switch on him and then come up with a ad hoc post hoc i need to i need to get my my latin reasoning but and after the fact logical reasoning for why he did that. Those are my two cents. So Gab, eh. Um, I can't get really behind it. 
And I, I, I can't even post on there. Then the other thing that bugs me too is that it's all political. And I've said this before, like we need apolitical spaces. And if we don't have apolitical spaces, it's going to cause flashpoints. And we're seeing that. Like we just need apolitical spaces. Oh, that's all you talk about on this podcast. Um, so let's shift gears. I mentioned last time when I closed Chantix. <laughs> they just, uh, Pfizer just recalled Chantix, the anti-smoking drug that's been around since 2005, because lo and behold, they discovered that it had carcinogens in it. 16 years it's been in use, and uh-oh, it causes cancer. Now tell me again why I'm supposed to rush out and get the latest medicine injected into my body that these big tech biotech companies uh, say that are required. Why? I mean... The, the historical blindness that we have as it relates to medical mistakes is amazing to me. I've mentioned this before. We used to prescribe, doctors used to prescribe mercury pills because they thought it was good. It's poison. We used to bloodlet people. We thought that was good. We, prior to Florence Nightingale, we thought that soldiers died from battle wounds, not the sewage the stream of feces and diarrhea and blood and vomit and snot and pus that was running throughout the open sewer in the recovery rooms. I mean, we've made some really, really bad medical decisions and choices um, in the past. Um, we used to think asbestos was safe. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And here, here's an example just pulled from the headlines in the last week. Chantix recalled because it has it, it, it causes cancer. I'm not laughing that it causes cancer. I'm laughing that we can continually have these data points which show that, oh, oopsie, the experts were wrong. And then turn around and in the, the very next breath say, oh, but the experts are telling me to do X, Y, and Z, so I'm going to do it. Ay, ay, ay. It's like, I mean, <laughs> the blind spots and the, the logical hoops we jump through. Well, it makes me feel safe and I'd rather feel safe. I don't care if it's going to cause problems later on down the road. I just want to feel safe now. And I don't want the, I don't want to be the societal black sheep. Um, what else do I want to talk about? I think that I'll just close with this. Um. I experienced Warren Buffett's Disney tragedy in the last year. <laughs> and you say, what's Warren Buffett's Disney tragedy? Well, Warren Buffett, renowned investor, multi-billionaire, um, in the 60s, mid-60s, mid he made he placed a, a sizable investment at the time in the Walt Disney Company. And he sold it four years later, I believe, for a 50% profit. I, and I think he sold it for, I think he might have pocketed $4 million in profit, $8 million in profit, somewhere in there. So, you know, he made 50% on his money in four years, and he was like, ka-ching. Um, and he's clearly, you know, gone on to invest wisely and successfully, unless he's running sort, some sort of Bernie Madoff scam, which we're, we don't know yet. Um, but it appears, it appears that he has invested successfully. Um, and he said that selling Disney in the late 60s was one, it was his biggest investment mistake of his life because that particular stake 
would be worth, I think, like $15 billion today. So he sold for 50% profit and uh, was happy at the time. And then in retrospect, you know, he could have been sitting on $15 billion instead of $4 to $8 million. Quite a difference. And you say, well, what do you mean that you've experienced Warren Buffett's Disney disaster, his failure? Well, last March, it uh, a chunk of cash coming into our lives coincided with, uh, miraculously, like the exact lowest point in the stock market since 2009. It was like middle of March, and boom, cash dumped in our lap through the sale of some previous investments. And I was like, hey, I'm gonna try my hand at trading like every other retail bro did. Um, now, my, my, I'm not averse to risk. My risk aversion is pretty much non-existent, um, which is good, but it can also be a little squirrely at times. And so I went hunting for a high-risk oil investment. What? What do you mean high-risk oil investment? Well, you know, everybody was like, hey, buy Exxon at 29 bucks a share and it'll recover to 60. And I was like, that's 100%, 104%, 102%. Like, okay, buy, um, you know, buy Chevron in the, you know, low 50s, mid 50s. I think it bottomed out at 58 bucks and it'll be back at, you know, 110. Um, well, I went hunting and I found a company called Recaf, R-E-C-A-F. And it's a Canadian oil company that is run by a couple of former Halliburton guys. You really are a capitalistic monster that you would even associate with Halliburton and Dick Cheney's bilking of taxpayers and rebuilding Iraq just means that you're the devil. Um, So I find this company. It's run by seasoned oil people. And they have secured rights to 95% of some massive oil basin in Africa. And I was like, heck yeah, I want some of that. So I bought 20,000 shares at 29 cents a pop. Um, You know, so I put in, what is that? 30 cents, there's 20, I don't know, $6,000-ish. And I was like, hey, this is great. I'm never selling this. I'm just going to hold it. It was it was pre-developed. They had they all they had announced was that they had secured the rights. 29 cents a share, 20,000 shares. Um it goes up to 96 cents. Okay? I'm sitting on 300% return and I hit the sell button. It retraces, comes back to 62 cents and I'm like, yeah, look at me. I'm a smart investor. I made 300% comes back to 40 cents. Oh man, look at me. I'm a smart investor. I made 300%. And in retrospect, the more I've learned about trading, you buy the dips and you sell the rips. So in retrospect, if I had a time machine, I would have sold it again at 90 some cents. And I would have rebought it at 62 cents. And I would have rebought it at 40 cents. Okay, I'm learning these things. But not me. I just said, hey, I made 300%. I'm going to go off into the night like a hero. Sailing off into the sunset. Or riding off into the sunset. And so I forget about it. I forget about good old recaf because I've made my 300% and I'm moving on to other stocks. Um, well, two weeks ago, I'm like, oh, hey, for, for whatever reason, oil was recovering. I mean, obviously it's recovering because this whole, you know, Green New Deal dream... <laughs> 
I feel like that Dream On song, whoever sang that. Dream on, dream on. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a. It, I don't even want to get started on the on the futility of that whole dream. If you if you look at the amount of of fossil fuels consumed by the global transportation, shipping, airline, airline shipping, trucks, cars, <laughs> we have got forever to go um, in order to replace the the. It's a self-perpetuating monster. So anyway, so oil's recovering clearly because that's what the world's transportation relies upon. Not only that, and this is the thing that cracks me up, I forget the exact statistic, but I think like 70-ish percent, maybe even higher, of all products rely on petroleum. We have to have petroleum to make stuff. All of the Dasani bottles you drink and the iPhone that you hold in your hand and the pla- the, the plasma, I'm not, not, the LCD, LED TV on your wall, the MacBook sitting on your desk, the desk itself, your pants, your shoes, all of these products need petroleum. We use petroleum in like 70% of the world's products. So unless we want to go back to the Stone Age, you know, with, with a using a rock as a hammer and a rock is the chisel, and the rock is whatever we're trying to, you know, bang into some sort of form to use. Uh, just don't be that dumb and that blindsided that you, you know, oh, we have to get rid of gasoline-powered cars. Well, 70% of everything else that we use relies on petroleum as well. So put that in your pipe and consider it. Rabbit trail over. Oil's recovering. Recaf pops into my head. Oh, I wonder what recaf's at. R-E-C-A-F, enter. $11.24? No. <laughs> ah. And that's what led me to Google Warren Buffett's biggest investment regrets. And that's what came back was his Disney story. So I wrote in my journal, Dear Diary, I thought I was a bad man by pocketing 300% returns and it turns out that I was a fool because when I sold at 96 cents, nine months later, I could have sold at $11.24 and they still haven't even broken ground. It's just still on speculation that they're sitting on top of the largest oil basin um, in Africa. So, well, why don't you rebuy? Um, I'm watching the chart. I could have rebought last week at $7.25 because it did retrace from those highs. But, you know, I also have a, uh, I also have a very strong, um, don't get screwed gene. (laughs) So I thought I was going to get screwed by the powers that be at 96 cents, which is why I dumped it. Um, so I could argue that if I thought I was going to get screwed at 96 cents, you can sure as heck believe that I think I'm going to get screwed at $7.25. <laughs> so what I am learning, though, is that successful investors remove emotion. Um, but I think that they're also incredibly skittish. Um, and thanks to several factors in my childhood upbringing, um, I'm an investor on the edge. A little bit skittish. Got to keep my head on a swivel. You never know what's going to come flying your way. So I think that about does it. Buffett, Gab, eh. 
Just a big E-H. Eh. I mean, defend free speech. Great. Whoop-de-doo. But shame on you. And you're making a mistake to promote just a different form of collectivism. And you're making a mistake to re-centralize content under a different banner. And I will buy hundred dollar. Uh, I will buy call options with a hundred dollar strike price. Five year call options that Gab and Torba um, are going to violate their free speech espousing when an opposing political ideological group floods their site with content that they disagree with. Um, so that's my bet. I think that's about it. Oh, the last thing that I will say that made me laugh, and this is probably uh, neither here nor there. Um, I was reading a comment about... <laughs> uh, there's there's so much stock information. And I what I love about the stock market is there's so many competing interests. So there's people who want to just buy it and hold it to the moon. Um, but then there's people who realize that that's a highly improbable um, undertaking. So when it does go up pretty significantly, they short it. And so those competing factors, short sellers are evil. No, it's what it's what you need the yin and the yang. You have to have competing forces. Um, it's what gives it the volatility, which is what makes it so stinking enjoyable. And it's actually what causes the opportunity for profit. You cannot have profit without volatility because volatility creates arbitrage and arbitrage are simply price discrepancies, value discrepancies, and value discrepancies are merely differences of perception. So I loaded the boat um, on Rolls-Royce stock, not the car manufacturer. They sold that to BMW in the late 90s, but Rolls-Royce, the airplane manufacturer, um, their stock tanked during coronavirus down to, down to the mid $1.00. Um, and then it rebounded up into the mid threes and then it tanked back into the high ones. Well, I, I went in, I bought 10,000 shares at a buck 57 about a month ago. Um, it's only been that low twice in, in the last 30 years. One was January, 2009. One was November, 2001, right after 9-11. So I bought 10,000 shares and my, it's one of the only, um, infrastructure stocks that hasn't recovered. And there is a bearish case against them. They had to dilute the outstanding shares tremendously uh, last March in order to stay afloat. Um, but I'm very bullish on them. So I bought 10,000 shares at buck fifty-seven. What does it do? It dips into the 130s. Okay, just hold on to it. This is a three to five year investment in my mind. Um, it dipped last week into the 120s. And what did I do? I panic sold. No, I bought another 10,000 shares at $1.24. So I'm averaged in at just over a buck 40. So I'm sitting on 20,000 shares. That volatility is what creates opportunities for arbitrage and arbitrage is where profits exist. And all arbitrage is, is differences of perception in value. So for whatever reason, the all wise market views Rolls-Royce is being a turd right now. Well, one man's turd is another man's treasure, and I am loading the boat with Rolls-Royce turds at the moment. <laughs> 
So anyway, I was reading all these comments and people were like, this stock should be, it, it, why won't it go up? And somebody replied, um, if people would stop drawing on their computer screens with crayons, maybe this stock price would be a little less volatile. <laughs> and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, the, that particular poster was referencing uh, charting, the, the, the science, uh, very dubious quotes. I'm putting multiple air quotes around the science, several air quotes like I'm, I'm starting by my ears by my temples and i'm going out to the sides until my arms are fully extended i probably did about 15 air quotes um the quote unquote 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 science of charting um and that's actually been the my favorite thing uh two favorite things of, of being in the stock market the last year um, is the research side. I love the research side. I love finding recaf when nobody else has seen it and saying, hey, this freaking company that nobody knows about owns the rights to oil, the largest oil basin in Africa. If true, cha-ching, I've learned my lesson holding longer. If you're an early adopter, when you feel like the ride is over, that's probably when like the first early adopter is actually even recognizing it. Um, and I'm learning that about myself. I think I'm an extremely early adopter. Whatever category is before early adoption is where I reside. And I'm learning that when I think the show's over, that's when like the first early adopter starting to look at it, which gives me, you know, at least another year worth of runway um, for everybody else to go. So people at, at 11 bucks a share, um, they were like, oh my gosh, recap, we got to get in. I was like, at 11 bucks a share? So I'm learning the psychology of this. Um, trading is very psychological. It's very perception-based. Um, but the research side is a blast. Um, but my other favorite part is the charting. And there are hundreds, hundreds. I won't say thousands because at thousands might be a little bit too much. There are hundreds of different mathematical equations and formulas and approaches to charting stock prices. And it's awesome. It's a ton of fun to experiment with them, see which ones hold, see which ones don't. Like there was one guy, this 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 uh, young kid, some braggadocious kid on Instagram is like, I'm a day trader. I make 10 grand a day. I'm, I'm 19 years old and I bought my dream Audi sports car. And I watched one of his free tutorial videos and it was like, now here's how you day trade to make a gazillion dollars. All you do is you buy off the support bounce. And I was like, really? That's all you do? Clearly this guy doesn't have the, he, he wasn't paying attention from January, February of this year to May of this year when things plummeted through their support lines like a freaking five ton stone falling out of a B-52 bomber. They just dropped Stonehenge out of an airplane and he was like, it's going to bounce off this little rubber band. Pfft. No. So I'm not too sure uh, where that guy got his simplistic approach. I think he might have read. He, he probably saw some other thing, like some 12-second TikTok video that was like, here's how you day trade. You buy on the bounce. You buy off the support line. Um, yeah, sometimes. I mean, from, from March of last year through July of 2020, 
yeah, when things were in a bullish uptrend, yeah, they bounced off that support line like crazy. From August of 2020 to November of 2020, nothing bounced off their support lines. And then from November to end of January, three month span, not only did things bounce off their support line, they stinking skyrocketed off their support lines. And then from February of 2021 to May of 2021, very few things bounced off their support lines. So my point is um, that guy is having fun living the life. Um, but if that remains his primary trading strategy, I doubt it will uh, succeed in the long run. And you go, oh, you're just old and jaded and jealous. No, I'm not at all. I mean, I am old, but I'm not jaded. and je Well, I am jaded. I'm not jealous. Um, because I trade my account. You do you. <laughs> you do you, son. Um, the, but the last thing I'll say, the reason that I don't believe his strategy will continue to work is I'm reading a book um, on the perception of the stock market. And it's interesting. He says that they've done a lot of research on the top performing mutual funds. And the likelihood that a mutual fund will outperform the market for the for a five-year period, 12 consecutive uh, five consecutive 12-month periods is the same. It's equivalent to a coin flip. And they've, they've done all the statistics on all these funds that, hey, this is the top performing mutual fund in 2020. And then they'll track that fund 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025. And the odds that that particular fund will have continued to outperform the market over that five-year period is at best a coin flip. Um, so the odds are against that kid trading off of bouncing support lines. And to be quite honest, the odds are against me um, based upon those best performing funds. So we'll see. Um, I'm having a blast. At one point, um, I was outperforming the market um, from March of 2020 to the end of 2020. I was outperforming the market. Uh, I was at 144% returns. Um, and the market was at broadly a 30 ish percent return um and then for this year so without performing the market like 110 basis points um this year it's shrunk and i'm i'm outperforming it by about 30 percent 30 basis points so um we'll see the coin flip's going to catch up to me the law of averages is going to is going to hamstring me and uh yeah we'll see it's fun i'm enjoying it i'm skittish I do prefer the day trading because I do prefer limiting the length of time that my hard-earned dollar bills are exposed to um, the vast manipulative game <laughs> known as the stock market. Um, it's actually decreased my belief in free market economics um, because the Federal Reserve backing up their printer, their printing press to the banks and the hedge funds. Um, and the market makers controlling the bid and the ask. It's a scam and a half. So I would play that game with extreme caution and I would not expose um, yourself to, where am I at this morning? Okay, sitting pretty flat pre-market. I was up 4,100 bucks yesterday. I'm currently up 134. 
I, 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 I traded a stock three times yesterday. Um, it was exhilarating. I was playing with fire because they're waiting at any moment. They, they had said in May that any moment between July 13th and the end of July, they would be receiving a letter from the FDA on whether or not their pre prescription drug application was approved. And if you track uh, catalysts in the biotech space, anytime a prescription drug application is approved, the stock price skyrockets for a day or two. Like I'm, we're, I'm, we're talking 50 to 300% returns. So um, I've traded this thing multiple times over the last six months, multiple times. Um, but yesterday it went on a low volume run, which means there wasn't a lot of buying volume, but the price went up like 12%. And I was like, well, I'm gonna book some gains. So I, I anyway, ended up day trading the thing three times. And uh, playing with fire, though, because if, if at any time that press release comes out that um, the letter was approved, you know, it's like you're, hey, I'm going to go to space with Jeff Bezos. And then, you know, you're still pulling your suitcase out of the silver airstream at the NASA complex and he hits ignite on the rocket boosters and you're like, wait for me. <laughs> So thankfully, um, thankfully, I did not get left behind. Um, and the the fun part about it is there is there is a little bit of a of a you know wild west gambler mentality to this thing. So as you're watching the daily chart at three fifty six p.m. four minutes before close, this thing is on an it's wildly overbought on the daily chart. Um, anything above. Anything really above 70 is technically overbought, but when you start getting into the 85 range, it's like wildly overbought, and anything above 85 is just like pure hysteria. So this thing was getting close to 85, and I was like, it surely can't keep this. The only way it's gonna keep an overbought of 85 is that if that press release comes out. Um, so at 356, I hit flattened position, and I sold um, all 5,000 shares, and I, watched it because i've seen these low volume moves whether they're down or up it's it appears to be totally manipulated um because there's there's like no volume um when they had their big press release two weeks ago there were 200 million shares were traded in a single day yesterday we were sitting on 700,000 traded near the end of the market and i think we closed with like 1.3 million um so in comparison nothing um so it's going up i flattened the position 359 the price just tanks back down right to oversold which is technically a, a, a number of 30 and so right as it dipped below 30 i rebought the 5000 shares at $2.18 so i had 11 cent um, profit you're going 11 cents is nothing yeah but when you times it by 5000 shares that's some that's some coin um anyway so it's it's hilarious i mean all of the super season investors, they say that you cannot out time the market, um, but I sure as, it's sure as heck not deterring me from trying. <laughs> I mean, live a little, right? Live a little, it's just buttons, it's just numbers on a screen. It is pretty stupid though, that I can just click a button. Um, I think my shortest trade ever was about, well, it was that one yesterday was my shortest trade. I mean, I bought, I sold it at 3.56 and rebought it at 3.59 p.m. right before the bell. Um, 
But that's the other thing that I like about the, the short-term day trading stuff is that there was a stock yesterday um, that I had not, not a ton of, MMAT, M-M-A-T, and it's some revenue, pre-revenue green energy piece of crap scam that's probably not going to do anything other than just go the route of Enron. Um, but it was wildly oversold. It, it, it peaked out at like 22 bucks a share, like, like a week and a half, two weeks ago. And I think people realized, oh crap, this is all hype. This thing doesn't even make any money. They don't even have a product yet. And so it just took a cliff dive to three bucks, like in a matter of like two weeks, it went from 21, $22 to $3. And it was wildly oversold, um, yesterday at three bucks. So I bought some and I bought some in the previous trading session, um, and I bought it at 326. It continued to dip down to like 303. And lo and behold, yesterday morning, whoever saw, oh, this thing's oversold. Let's buy it, buy it through the roof, and it ran up to like four dollars and twenty-five cents. Um, so I sold on the way up in there. The one of the support lines was 383, which was one of my targets. Um, so that was a short term trade. But the crazy thing is that you can just sit here and literally click a button. I clicked a button on, what are we? So I clicked a button on a, what day was that that I traded that? That was, I clicked a button on a Wednesday night. And then I clicked another button on a Thursday morning. And whatever the difference between 323 and 383 is, 60 cents. It's like 20%, 18%, just making two button clicks. The world we live in is, is amazing. I mean, it just really is nuts. Now, granted, I could have clicked a button and lost 20%, um, but that's why I have the Crayola crayons out and I draw on my screen every day. <laughs> in, hopes, in hopes of, um, in hopes of uh, making that be a plus sign in front of that 20% and not a negative sign. It's just money. It's just money. It's all perception. I mean, it's really the, the the sooner if you want to play stocks, you have to recognize that it's all just value perceptions, and it's my the best segments of making money are when there's the highest volatility, and I love it. You have to have volatility, and I know that makes people oh look at that. I I knew it. I haven't checked VIX in a couple of days. VIX is a VIX is a volatility index that assigns a number to some crazy mathematical calculation on what the volatility of the stock market is doing. And uh, one, two, three, what was that? That was, yeah, that makes sense. That was Monday the 19th. Monday the 19th, I made a killing. Um, and the VIX went from 16 on a Friday and it tapped out at 25 on that Monday. That's a huge volatility swing, and it's actually the day that was a huge day for me. And it's back down to 17 and a half, so the market's probably gonna suck. Um, it's gonna be a dead, dead, boring, large cap, boring nonsense. So I need to go find some volatility to chase, but can't really chase the volatility. The market makers create the volatility. Anyway, oh man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Just suffice it to say that I love stocks and I think that the stock market is a blast. Um, 
And I, on the one hand, I regret not getting into it sooner. Like I traded, I think I've shared this. I traded in 05 when I was in college, but every time I made money, I had to turn around and pay bills. <laughs> so it's hard to trade when you're con- when you're continually uh, using your principal to pay off to pay mortgages and diapers and baby formula and car payments and stuff. So that was a that was, that didn't last very long. Um, but I'm also glad that I didn't do it back then because the likelihood for ruin. <laughs> <laughs> I think would have been even greater um, because as much as I am not averse to risk these days, at least I have 20 some years of getting pummeled in trying to start my own business endeavors at certain times throughout my history where I have a little bit of those calluses and I have some of that, oh, whoops, yeah, let's not do that. You'll stink and get punched in the jaw. Um so it's probably good. The Lord works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose is what the scriptura says. Stop mixing podcasts. This isn't theology. Um, so yeah, it's probably good. Anyway, I don't even know where I have this thing, but I'm sitting here watching the VIX and it looks like it's going to be a boring day. It's down, it's down under 17. Boring. The only thing going for us is uh, if this biotech releases their... FDA approval letter. However, last thing I will say, um, if they, if they, there, there's going to be a press release. Okay, there's going to be a press release, and if it's hey, the FDA has approved our prescription drug application, it'll go up fifty to three hundred percent based upon peers in the space. You do run the possibility though, and this is why there is no such thing as a sure thing. ARDX, ARDX. I bought them yesterday. However, they were trading last six months low of $5.91 and a high of $9.23. So they were trading roughly between six and nine bucks for the last six months. And they were waiting on a prescription drug application. Well, two days ago, they released their press release. Quote, FDA delays prescription drug approval for ARDX based upon ambiguity in their marketing language. Guess what that stock price did? It was at it was at $7.73. It opened the next morning at a dollar eighty-one. <laughs> you went to bed. Let's put that in perspective. Let's say that you bought 10,000 shares of this company because you were like, yo, this drug is going to rock the house. This drug is amazing. I love this drug. It's going to change lives. Um, So you buy 10,000 shares at $7.67. You got 76,000, 77 grand, we'll just say, wrapped up in this company. Okay. You go to bed, $77,000 of account value in your portfolio. You wake up the next morning, oh, ah, stretching, a little coffee, a little morning newspaper, a little sitting on the porch swing. Oh, let me open up my phone, check out my uh, stock trading app. $18,100. Your 77 grand went to 18 grand overnight. Ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. So what did I do? I went and I bought several thousand shares at a buck ninety-three. So I feel bad for the guy who 
I guess I took that guy's shares. I mean, the stock market, you can't get much simpler than a buyer and a seller. Somebody bought those shares at 770 and sold them to me at a buck 93. Sorry, dude, I don't know who you are, but thanks for the shares. One man's turd is another man's treasure, and hence there's the stock market in a nutshell. Peace, talk to you guys later.